Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal, Chasing the Gold podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Bennett, and in studio, Mr. Jack Biotelli. Jack, how we do today? Good. Always in studio. I miss you in here. I know you're going through rehab. You had uh, knee surgery, what, two months ago now, but you're making some progress. Hopefully you're up and walking in the next couple of weeks and the complaining will stop. I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> You brought it up. I just wanted you to know that you brought it up. It's going great, but we have a great guest to welcome in. University of North Carolina head coach, Joe Bresci. Coach, how we doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me. It's it's nice and warm down here. I don't know if it's snowing up there yet, but it's nice and toasty down here still. Joe, we had frost on the on the on the grass this morning. My my car had ice on, all over it. I had to start it and warm it up to melt the ice because I'm too lazy to scrape the the ice off. I'm just like, I'm so tired of the ice and the snow. Maybe when my son gets out of college, I might move down. And, and if you need a volunteer assistant coach, my, I might be available for you. <laughs> hey, there, there, I'll tell you what, there's some real estate down here. But 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 so we get our first frost in uh, January, February. So, And it lasts for about two to three weeks. <laughs> yeah. who's Who's complaining now, Chief? I'm in a struggle to not turn my heat on. I have a rule. We don't turn the heat on until Thanksgiving. We're not doing it. We're just going to keep it. We're going to go. But yeah, co- Coach, great to have you on. Obviously, coaching a power in the ACC with, with North Carolina. I just kind of want to talk about the way when, when, we, when I talk to other coaches and your name comes up, it's always with admiration and appreciation. And I don't Sometimes coaches coach for like 40 years and they don't get that, right? And you've been in the game for a while, but you've kind of established yourself as a mainstay in one of the toughest conferences in the entire country. How did you build that kind of reputation and, and what do you put that down to? Is that kind of personality-based? Uh, I don't think it's X's and O's, uh, but it could be. I don't know. Let me know. Well, I was fortunate. I, I had the opportunity to... Uh, play for a Hall of Fame coach in, in Willie Scroggs, learn from him as a as a student athlete. I, I didn't know if I was going to get into coaching or not. I had had some different internships in, in sales and finance and so forth over the course of my four years at Carolina. And, and then when I graduated, Willie retired that year, uh, my senior year. And Dave Klarman took over and he asked me to be his assistant. So for two years, I was like, ah, I'll do it for a year, see what happens. Well, we went 16-0 and in 91 and won the national championship. And I was like, wow, this is great. Although I was getting paid 2000 bucks as an assistant coach, had two other jobs, delivered newspapers, and worked at a health spa. So I did that for two years. We lost in the semifinals to Princeton in 92 at the University of Penn. And then I got the opportunity to go coach with Pete Lasagna, which was uh, certainly an incredible experience up at Brown University. And that's where I got a chance to meet Jack. And it was it was the best experience I could have ever asked for. Pete gave me the keys to the defense. He was such a terrific leader. He wore his personality on his sleeve. And, and we, we, we gelled. He coached the offense. I coached the D. We worked together. Uh, the players were terrific. Uh, great energy. And I was myself and, and I wasn't trying to be anybody. I wasn't just brought what I learned from Carolina and my experiences there to Brown. And, and like I said, Pete gave me free reign to, to do what I needed to do defensively. And we were able to go to the final four and win a couple Ivy titles there. And then I got an opportunity at age 28 to, to be the head coach at, 
at Ohio State, and it was uh, a varsity program, but hadn't had started scholarships yet. Andy Geiger brought me out for an interview, and I was the last of seven guys to interview. And I was, I remember I was at the airport. Back then, you had to get on the payphone. And I called my brother, who went to Denison and played football and lacrosse there. And I said, Dave, I said, I'm going to Ohio State for my interview. It's Sunday, all day Monday is the interview. I said, do you have any advice for me going to Ohio State? And he said, he said, yeah, do you know anything about Woody Hayes? And I said, uh, a little bit. I know he forearm shivered the guy in the bowl game against Clemson um, yeah. way back when. And uh, he's like, don't bring that up. He said, Every, <laughs> everything at Ohio State is, is built around Woody Hayes. Right. So I went out and my first breakfast in the morning was with a guy named Bill Miles, who coached with Tom Osborne at Nebraska and Woody Hayes at the Ohio State University. And he's assistant athletic director. So I'm sitting down with him at, at breakfast and I still remember it. It was, it was crazy. I, I was sitting there and he said, let's go up and get something at the buffet. So we go up there and I, I get a nice size plate and he's a big man. He's like 6'3", 270. And he gets a little bowl of fruit. And I'm like, oh my God, I think I blew it already. So I come back and I start eating the food and this and that. And he goes, Joe, he said, he said, you were an All-American. You went to the Final Four at Carolina as a player. He said, by Carolina, you won the national championship, two Final Fours and two ACC championships. Then you go to Brown, you go to the Final Four. You have all this success. You're coming to The Ohio State University. How are you going to handle failure? And immediately came to mind was my conversation with my brother. And what I said was, as Woody Hayes once said, I may lose some battles, but I'm going to win the war. And he dropped his fork and we sat there and ate and he went up four times with huge plates. I was like, you don't get to be 270 eating a little bowl of fruit. <laughs> he went up there and had four plates of food. We sat there and talked football for two hours about oh. Woody Hayes, Tom Osborne, the whole bit. And, and I got the job and I went out there and this is where your question gets answered. I remember after year one, because I was 28 years old, I went out there, I, I basically took off my assistant coach jacket, put on my head coach hat, and I wasn't myself in year one. I'm a relationship-driven guy. I'm a family-oriented guy. I, I preach that, and I live that with the players, but I wasn't in year one. And I remember a young man named Toby Mink, who was a defenseman for me from St. Paul's I recruited. And, and he sat down at the end of the year meetings and he said, coach, man, we love your energy. We love your passion, but we don't know you. And that was everything that I am not about. So I took off my head coaching cap. Although I was still the head coach, it was, you know what? Be who you are and not, some, and don't try to be somebody you're not. And ultimately that kick in the gut. And, and I give Toby Mink, who we share a birthday, April 9th. He may be 30 years younger, but we do share a birthday and we, we remind each other of that every year. But that kick in the gut was the answer to being who you are and, and not trying to pretend you're somebody else. Sure, I learned from a lot of coaches over the years. I learned from coaches I played for, coaches, my assistant coaches, other coaches out there at the convention, watching film, et cetera. But I've always prided myself on, on being who I am and, and not trying to 
be someone else and being real with the players because they can see right through that too. And and not only preaching or, or not only preaching family, but living family, I think is is the is the way to go. And and we can all talk about it. It's just words. But if you're living it every day and you're telling your kids you love them and, and you're telling your players, you're inviting them over for dinner and seeing who you are and, and who you are around your family. And my wife, Julie, and my four daughters, Sam, Abby, Lucy, and Emily, when, and integrating them into the program as, as much as I have is, is really what life's all about. And we're, we're only here for a short period of time. So enjoying every minute of it with these young men is is real and and i have the best job in the world the, the old cliche of you never work a day in your life if you if you if you love what you do is is absolutely what i've been living i've been a living dream to coach at the ohio state university brown with pete certainly playing at at unc and now having an opportunity to give back to the school that changed my life is is pretty powerful stuff so when you come in the office every day and you love what you do and you love being around the young men uh, and and ultimately, these guys are eighteen to twenty two year olds, man. And you have a chance to to have a small impact on some, but a major impact on many is is really really cool. And and not not a lot of people get that opportunity. Do you find you talk about family? Obviously, the alumni at, at North Carolina is by far one of the most supportive and celebrated. Uh, alumni associations in the country, not only obviously for basketball, but lacrosse as well. I mean, you run into North Carolina grads everywhere and the support for the program. You probably wouldn't have the success if it wasn't for the alumni support you have for the program. But you you learned a great lesson at Ohio State, being yourself, right? Now, being a parent for so many years, you find that being a parent, you've become a better coach as well? Oh, man. You you hit the nail on the head. I think you learn a lot from being a coach because you're around so many kids and you're around so many parents. And we, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of great parents and and seeing how they interact with their kids and in in, in some good ways and some tough ways. And and I think ultimately, I, I use that term all the time with my assistant coaches who who are just starting families. I said, really take a good hard look at the families and and the student athletes that come through here. None of the kids that we ever coach are um, not trying 100%. And, and if they try and still fail, that's okay. As long as they're putting everything they have into every play or every game, every practice, et cetera, it happens. And how you respond to that is ultimately the number one thing. But, you know, I tell my assistant coaches who just start in families, I said a, a couple things. We practice in the morning so you can be home at night with your kids. Uh, that's that's one thing I'm so glad I did over the 11 years at, at Ohio State and certainly, you know, the 16 years now here at, at Carolina is I never missed a dinner, never missed a game of my kids playing in high school or, or middle school, et cetera. That was during the week unless we had a road game. But you certainly, certainly learn a lot as a, as a parent to have patience patience because these kids are putting everything they have on the field for you and, and understanding that patience piece helped me become a better parent. And I think you understand as a parent that the kids, all the players are coming from different households, different environments, different challenges within each household. They're not all coming because they're all coming to North Carolina doesn't mean they're all going to be the same. They're all different. They all got different upbringings and bringing up your own kids, you know, that 
you have four daughters. Every single one of them is very different from the other one. Yeah, there's no question. And and they, they're all special in their own way. And and right. that's same same as the players, right? They they all bring something different. And sometimes guys walk in the office. This is what I love about where our office is located. It's right in the middle of campus at the Keenan football stadium. The guys walk through here all the time because our training tables on the on the third floor, our academic centers on the second floor, and they're constantly coming in the locker room and some kids are coming in and, and give you the head nod. Some kids are saying good morning coach or or hey coach and some are coming in and giving you a full hug so they're all they're all coming from different different backgrounds and and but just knowing that they're loved and knowing that they're supported here is is uh is terrific and and they all know it when they walk through the doors that they're part of the family for real and you're going to be there for at least another three years you just signed an extension correct i did i did i I congratulations Thank you. Thanks. Credit Bubba Cunningham. He's a terrific leader for us as the athletic director. He's had all the faith in the world and in myself and how we run the program. But ultimately, you, you also have to win. You're, you're, you're judged on wins and losses. And we had to make some changes. And I felt like it was time. No one's bigger than the program. No one's bigger than the alumni that played before uh, me and, and after me. So the program runs the roost and, and um, certainly some tough challenging times this summer, but the changes were necessary for the program to push push back towards where we need to be competing for championships at, at uh, the highest level. Now, I had a chance to watch you play when you were at North Carolina. We have a uh, number of friends that are friends with you and me, having worked in the industry for a number of years. But I remember, I believe you were on two USA teams, correct? I was, yes. On two USA teams. You played at obviously the highest level, played at a great program. How have you seen the game change since the time you were in college and played USA lacrosse till now? Obviously, we know it's changed. How has it changed for you? And have you had to change your coaching style any differently according to how the game has changed over the years? Yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting question because I think in some ways it has changed, in other ways it it it's remained the same. Um, right. I think the athletes have changed. There's tremendous athleticism out there on the field, and you can see it on our own roster, and and certainly in the ACC and Big Ten and Ivy League and trickle on down. There's so much talent and athleticism, and there's more kids playing, and still the the depth of Division One lacrosse was still in the '70s, right? So we're not we're not expanding to the SEC yet or the Pac-12 if that exists anymore. I think what we're what we're seeing is the changing in some of the rules. The shot clock era has really changed and sped up the game, which I think is a terrific thing. And they're continuing to tweak with with that aspect. So I think those changes, just subtle rule changes, have made it really good for the game. I, I think sometimes we make change for the sake of change, but I think the shot clock has changed the game the most. Uh, I think the athletes are so different from when we played back in the day, although we all like to deny that. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I talked to my assistant coach, Dave Petromala, who was also my roommate in the 94 World Games uh, over in Manchester, England. And so we reminisce about that, how I took care of him over there. But it was, it, it's it's fascinating. I mean, between the Gates and Petromala and Volks and myself and and a lot of the guys who played together on the world team in 94, Steve Mitchell, et cetera, 
Um, I'm just talking defensive, as you notice. Um, and, and a lot of those guys on that team are coaches now. They are. I mean, we literally, we had, I think at one point that, that year, we were five of the seven defensemen on the world team were coaches. So Fred Acey was the head coach or the defensive coach, and he walked in the huddle, and he's like, you guys know what to do. So, <laughs> it. so it was fun. I mean, it was just incredible experiences there playing on the U.S. team, 94, but really cool at, at Hopkins, too, and in 98, where we won in overtime against Canada. And I grew up literally five minutes from from Hopkins campus. So it has changed. The game has certainly changed. But I think the subtleties of rule changes have really helped. I love the shot clock. I think it should be even shorter as we I move agree. forward. And how have you how have you changed as a coach over the years? I think I think you have to change with with society. I think I think it's a an immediate gratification type of world we live in. I I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I'd ever be on social media unless it's it's part of recruiting, right? And and what is recruiting now? It's it's back then it was I wanted to go to Carolina and that was that was it wasn't being courted like we court kids now, which isn't a bad thing. It's just a reality of what we live in. It's social media. It's immediate gratification. It's it's what can you do for me? It's it's NIL deals. It's transfer portal. It's 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 really about relationships. But that part hasn't changed for me. When ultimately on the field, X's and O's, it it, it I've had some really, really good assistant coaches over the years that that I've worked with and learned and tweaked and I've coached the offense at Ohio State. I coached the defense at, at, at Ohio State. I've, I've coached the defense here. I've had some really good offensive coordinators in, in Pat Myers and David Metzbauer and now John Thompson, just terrific men who do a great job offensively. But ultimately, it, it's, it, it's another little cliche, but it, it's not necessarily about the X's and O's. It's about the Jimmys and the Joes, and, and the recruiting piece is so critical. And you see it in the ACC and Ivy League and and Big Ten. I mean, they're getting some great, great talent to go to their programs. And ultimately, it's it comes back. And, and this is where it remains the same. It comes back to relationships. Coach, I got to tell you something. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited that you're a D1 coach and not a writer because you would destroy <laughs> me because you're a natural born storyteller, man. I'm like. We have a podcast with a lot of different personalities, a lot of different coaches. And I think this might be one of the first times where I'm just like, I'm just going to go into this and we're going to learn stuff. <laughs> like it's, I'm not going to run anything. I'm just going to sit here and try, try and learn. You were talking about your assistants. I love John Thompson. I was there. I, I was very fortunate to document his run with Amherst to the D3 championship game. They, they got to the game. They, they didn't win it, but man, like he's such a, positive emotional guy like he i really think he's gonna do a lot of great things for your team can you tell me the process of of bringing him in yeah and and i got a cool story from the excuse me of the his run to the championship we had won the national title in 2016 and he called me and said would you mind doing a zoom with our team and i said you're i'd love to and 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 i had an opportunity to get on a zoom and and he was asking some questions and he talked about how your team and what you focus on and what were the details of of how you want it and it was quite the journey that we were on starting out the season 3 on 3 and 3 and having a come to jesus meeting in a in a hotel basement in umass after we lost to them and then and then going on a tear and 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 winning the national title so i i kind of gave that story to 
John Thompson and the crew. And I knew of him just from my Brown days and so forth. I was He was after me after I had coached there. But I knew how talented he was when, and how successful he was at Amherst as a head coach. And then we had some success out in, in Air Force, and, and they loved him. And every person I spoke to about John Thompson just raved about him as an X's and O's guy, as a as an emotional leader, as all the details, but a great person. And for me, it's surrounding myself with great people because you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And and he is exceptional. He is already his his mentality and focus and and energy is contagious to the players, and they have just uh, gravitated towards him just immensely. And 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 I love it. And he's a thinker. He's a certified sports psychologist as well. So he has so many things that he has brought to the table. I'm just so fortunate. Susanna gave him the push, his wife, to to come out, to leave Colorado Springs and to come out here and and uh, and enjoy this, this experience with his two little kids. But he is, I'm telling you, he is really, really good. Yeah, I think your your other assistant just terrifies me. Uh, Dave Petromala. Hey, he terrifies there, me. Don't feel bad. There aren't that many people in lacrosse or in general that just like, I never want to say anything wrong around Dave Petromala, ever. Like, um, I, I've talked to him a bunch of times. We actually had Sean Kerwin on, who was the assistant at Brown when they beat Hopkins. And after that game, uh, I'm sitting on the bench outside the Brown locker room and, and I'm waiting to go talk to players and coaches. And I look out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, someone's coming around the corner. And it's Petromala, and he had had back issues, and he, I'm on the bench, and it's just me. And he comes and sits next to me, and I'm just like, hey, coach. You were petrified. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not interviewing you now. And not after a loss, not after you have this look of pain on your face. Like, we'll talk later. I'll call you. Like, he, I don't think he had any idea who I was, but I was like, hey, how you doing? And he's like. Like teddy bear, he's he's a big teddy. No, I know, I know people that know him better than I do, but man, I I felt like I was gonna like really offend him by by asking any question, even just doing my job to cover the game. I was just like, maybe we'll uh, maybe not right after the game's over. And I just went into the brown locker room like this, head down, like looking back. Is he following me? All right, no, good. But you know, him coming over after being at Syracuse, coaching with, with Gary Gay, being a defensive guy. You're a defensive guy, I assume. You're you're coming in, and and he's coming in. You're building a new kind of defensive identity. Not that you haven't had one, but it's got to be different with Petro running the show, right? Yeah, I mean, you talk about it from the get go. I mean, he's this big presence and and boisterous voice, and and you you couldn't have you couldn't have two opposite guys in the way John Thompson operates and and Petromala. And at the end of the day, we have. 58 years of head coaching experience on this staff and and I am just eating it up and I think those two guys are eating it up as well because we all have different things to uh bring to the table and and Dave's a a in your mittens type of coach and and he gets after the guys aggressively and John's jumping up and down at the other end just high-fiving guys and chest bumping them and it's exactly what Carolina lacrosse needed was that that burst of energy and that change of of uh, of energy to the to the rest of the the team and program and the challenge is how do we continue to strive in the and row the boat in the same direction 
which we've done a terrific job this fall, the collaboration has been off the charts. And when I think everybody's used to leading, so the, the beauty of it and the challenge of it is when are those pieces step forward and, and lead? And, and I've really stuck to my guns and, and, and I've allowed a lot of collaboration, not only amongst ourselves and the coaches meetings, but also to the team. Um, because everybody brings a little bit of something different. Uh, like I said, JT's a thinker and, and he's thinking things completely different the way Dave Petromala thinks things. And I'm kind of in between going, Oh, wow. I love this. And I love that. And I mean, it's just like, it's really cool. So you can't take enough notes in these meetings, just jotting some things down that, that you love and you, and you want to continue to, to plow forward. But when you have 58 years of experience in that, in that coach's space, it's, it's just phenomenal. I mean, it, it has been, I've learned so much. They've said the same thing. They've learned so much from each other already. And it's only been three months. And the cool part is we're all in it for the same reasons. And that's to compete and win championships. Yeah. They say that when it's time to retire, it's when you stop learning. And what a great recruiting tool too, for somebody. I mean, obviously North Carolina is always on the blue chip players, maybe top five lists in the country, but to be able to go to North Carolina and have you as the head coach and JT and Petro as your assistants, that's a very impressive coaching staff. Well, I think what was interesting about the process is they turned that volunteer spot into a full-time position. So I was able to go out and, and I spoke to dozens and dozens of assistant coaches, head coaches, club coaches even. And I said, who would you say is the best offensive mind and the best defensive mind as an assistant coach? And literally to a man, it was John Thompson and it was Dave Petromala as assistant coaches. And, and I went after both of them as, as my top guys there. And um, I'm fortunate enough to keep Kevin Unterstein too, as, as an assistant coach working with the goalies and the faceoff guys. He's also helping JT offensively. Um, so I have just a tremendous, tremendous staff put together and, and the way we collaborate and, and come out on the same page and moving forward is just, it's been awesome. And Peter Murphy, another Carolina grad from 97, moved down from Chicago with his family. He's our director of operations. He was an all American defenseman and in, in, like I said, in the nineties. So it's just a great staff. And I'll tell you what, we're having fun. We are having a ton of fun and the players are having fun and working their tails off too. So it's been a, a huge change. And like I told the players at the end of the season, I said, look, change can be scary at times, but it also gives you, it also opens up the door to opportunity. And these guys have, have really taken advantage of that piece. Since you brought up Kevin Understein, this won't be great for the audio medium, but for visual, this is Kevin Understein in my room. Oh, no played, way. Yeah, when he played for the Outlaws. It's it's how the ML, the MLL paid me with a framed picture once. <laughs> a, if you know the MLL, that's really on brand. But yeah. uh, I, always, I always think that's funny. If everyone brings him up, I'm just like, hey, he's right there. He's that's in my, my room every day. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. I mean, you might have the most, like you said, that many years, 56 years of college experience. I mean, I can't think of another staff that has anything close to that. Well, so, it was interesting. Somebody brought that stat up, Kyle. They said, I, I think it was somebody else from inside the cross said, said to me, you guys have 58 years of head coaching experience. And I said, yeah, because the next closest person is, is Dino. 
himself. So oh, just episode, by himself. By <laughs> That's himself. amazing. Yeah. So I don't know what number that is, but we were combined on our staff is is the most of of any. So it's pretty cool. Joe, in yeah. terms of recruiting, it's going to be very difficult for you because you've got so many players that want to play at North Carolina. You must get a number of emails, inquiries about the program. Talk to me a little bit about how you go about recruiting your players and your assistant coaches, how they're involved and, you know, what kind of process do you have in place in your recruiting process to make sure you're getting the right players on your campus and it's a good fit? Yeah, I think initially what we try to do is the evaluation piece is so big over the course of the summer. Thank goodness we changed the rule to September 1 of their junior year. I think that's hurt us uh, amongst many other programs and the student-athletes, uh, quite frankly, uh, because of the stress of of committing before they even started high school um, back in the day. So the September 1 change has really helped because it basically re or pre-evaluates you academically after two years. So if you're even in the ballpark for some student athletes, so that's number one. Uh, number two is, you know, I've had really good assistance over time, as I mentioned, and now I have two former head coaches who were uh, spectacular in their evaluations of talent. So I, I trust them immensely. We have a lot of time to sit down and talk about who we like and what we like about them. And we go back and forth. I talked about the collaboration and putting them on the whiteboard of, of who, who fits, uh, what we're looking to do offensively with JT and defensively with Petro and special teams with KU. And KU was also in the PLL as an assistant coach this year. So when I think when it comes down to it, as we do our evaluation to me, and I mentioned this earlier about the family aspect of things. To me, the most important thing is that we have them on campus with their family. So we have an opportunity to meet them. Do we uh, feel the same about them talent-wise as we do as a person, as we do academically? Do they fit us academically? Do we offer their the degree they're looking for? But ultimately, it's about the personalities and the relationships and the guys that the character of guy that you want in that locker room. Ultimately, that's the that's the number one priority for me is they can be as talented as ever. But do you want that guy in your locker room? Is he going to be that ultimate warrior for you, but also be that that character guy that's going to make some tough decisions and good decisions when, when it uh, must be had, whether it's off the field or on the field? So it's I love the process because you get to meet so many families and so many family dynamics and it keeps it fresh. And I tell you what, this this coaching staff was on the road in September, back and forth, and home visits to school visits to campus visits here every week. I think the month of September, we had two or three days off. That was it. So, But it was well worth it. It was a, it was a healthy and productive September recruiting. Can you talk about some of the players that you landed for uh, 2025? I, I just think it's a talented group. I can't mention names, but but I can certainly say that it's a it's a really balanced and talented group. Uh, I think defensively, we did a really nice job of of getting a, a terrific goalie and and some really good defensemen um, that I think are going to help us for sure. And then I think in the middle of the field, we we certainly did a terrific job as well. I think some of the talented midfielders were awesome. So I think ultimately down the line, you, you continue to leave some spots open for 
the late bloomers or the guys who are still developing. And, and I think that's also key to do. But with the change of September 1, junior year, it, it, is, it has really changed the face of our recruiting. And the juniors, the current juniors on our team are, are just that. They're the first group of September 1 recruiting. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's very interesting because back when it was eighth grade and, and the eighth graders were getting committed, I remember my two boys were around that time. They were One was in high school, the other one was in eighth grade, but it was like, I just couldn't believe that these kids were committing as an eighth grader to going to a school that they really don't know a lot about. And four, three years from now, they, they could be totally different players. They could totally think that they, they want to go somewhere else. They want to study somewhere else. So I agree with you 100%. The best thing they ever did was change the rule to September 1st. Player is able to develop. You've got late bloomers, like you said. But it was pretty crazy back in the day when you could commit a kid in the eighth grade. Yeah, it was very unfortunate for our sport because the pressure on the kids, the, the the pressure on the parents. and And unfortunately, you had those immature kids who knew you had to maintain or get certain grades in high school, and they weren't ready for that. And that's where you had decommits and commits and kids switch in place. I mean, it was, it was, it was not a good time for recruiting, but I'm glad the NCAA and the calendar, the coaches changed the calendar and so forth. I think it was the best thing that could have happened for everyone affected by it. No question. Coach, the ACC is generally regarded as the, the athletes league, right? The athletic athletic conference. We don't have a lot of ACC up here. Obviously there is one school though that's in the ACC that doesn't have a men's lacrosse team, and that's Boston College. Mm. Do you oh. think if if Boston College came back into, I know they used to, if they came back into the fold, that would be beneficial to the rest of the teams? Uh, it would be. I mean, we're looking for a six team, without a doubt, at least six, and it would be so great. I mean, I played against Boston College when I was at Carolina. They came down and played in the, I think it was like the Citibank tournament with Duke and ourselves. And I forget the other team that joined Boston College, but it was great. I mean, we played, we played them and, and Chestnut Hill is, is incredible up there and they have great facilities. And I mean, well, the kids wouldn't leave New England. It, it is, it is a great, great school academically. I think it would be terrific for our league. It would be terrific for the sport. And not only Boston College, I think everybody's kind of, who's next? Wake Forest would be awesome. It's a great school. It's similar to Duke in, in that sense. And Florida State or has been talked about over, over time as well. Now Stanford added to the ACC, if you can believe that, and Cal and SMU. So I, I just think we need a sixth team. A friend of mine, Heather Light, that I met, at Ohio State when I was working there. She's the athletic director at Pitt, and she added women's lacrosse. And before COVID, she came and, and um, kind of checked out what our budget was and um, how we ran things from a men's side of things. So she was uh, certainly intrigued by it. Uh, but when COVID hit, it kind of changed things financially for a lot of programs and, and so forth. So Ultimately, we'd love to have a six team. I know all the coaches are having an ACC tournament this year for the top four teams. So every game's going to be magnified that you, you have to win or you have to compete to get in that top four to, to be in your tournament. And the fifth team is left out. So, you know, I think ultimately the top six would be, or to have six teams would be fantastic. And Boston College is just, that would be the dream team. 
We're going to send this podcast to the AD. So <laughs> we're going to try to get it done. I, have a lot, I don't know if I have a lot of weight there, though. I will say I hear the rumor every year. Yeah. Like ear to the ground, not even just because I'm in New England. I like I had people just sliding in the DMs being like, hey, here BC is going to do it. I'm like, leave when I see it, man. I hope so. But it's it's a lot of a lot of cry wolf, but I hope they do it. I think it, it really and like you said, like having that six team is important because that gets you the AQ and then that gets you kind of elevates even more, even though kind of ACC is still king of the mountain in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I would agree. I I, I think it's it is so tough. It is a incredible gauntlet of of games. When we were playing six ACC games a year uh once covid hit cuz we weren't sure of other programs playing so we agreed on this for 3 years we were playing 6 ACC games and and that's not easy when and now we're back to just playing 4 which has allowed us to open the gates a little bit we're playing Penn and Princeton this year too which is awesome with Duke so we're doing a, a weekend doubleheader uh we played Princeton on a Friday and Penn on a on a mo- on a Sunday and they're flip-flopping with Duke. So, And then next year, we're going up to Princeton and Penn as well. So I think that's what that has allowed us to kind of expand our, our schedule a little bit, too. Yeah, to be honest with you, it'd be nice to see more ACC schools play Ivy Leagues. You see the ACC schools, the Ivy League schools in the last few years in the tournament. And obviously, Notre Dame won it last year. And But I think that's great that you're, you're going to play Penn and, and Penn State because it's great for the fan. It's great for the players. Great for the game. It is. It is. And I, I think we talk about it all the time, the importance of getting into certain areas. We've played Maryland in the past and with their change in the Big Ten, it, it knocked us off their schedule. And But getting up to Princeton and Penn next year would be, it's going to be awesome in the in the Jersey, Philly area. We get up to Maryland, D.C. enough. And this year we're going to Long Island for a week. Can you imagine that? Spring break, we're going to the island. Wow. And we're playing Hofstra, Wagner, and Stony Brook. So we're going to cover the the gamut for a week on the island, and all our island guys get to be home. So it's really cool. I love switching up the schedule. We switched it up a lot this year with the taking away two of the ACC games. We added Army, Penn, Princeton, Hofstra, Stony Brook, amongst others, Fairfield as well. So I think it's really cool, and I think it's fun for the guys to play different teams. And for you to coach against different coaches and different programs. It is. It is. I, I love it. I think it's a challenge and, and a new challenge, right? So it keeps it fresh. How many players do you have on your roster currently, and what is your goal in terms of the number of players you'd like to have on your on your roster? Well, we won the national championship. We had 46. When COVID hit, I offered all of our guys who were on the roster a chance to come back for a fifth year. This is the last year, and we have 23 seniors. So we're going from 60 down to 50 or even 48 next year. So this is the last year for us to to be in that realm. It's not the ideal scenario, but I felt that the kids needed an opportunity to extend their education because they lost a year. So the I know how I'm, how much I loved being in Chapel Hill and the experience I had here. Heck, I've never left, it seems like. But as a, as a player and, and to give these kids the opportunity to come back, whether they played or not or whatever, but just experience this family is was important to me. Sure, we're doubled up in some of the lockers, but you know ultimately it's these guys have an opportunity to 
live out a dream of of playing in college. I always tell guys, I said, look, who who are injured or redshirt or that sort of thing, I don't know, I want to go out in the real world. I said, look, you have 45 years to work. You have four to five years to play lacrosse and enjoy the best time of your life with less stress. So might as well enjoy it while you can. And it goes by so quickly. Yes. Great story. My, my fall fall year, uh, my freshman year, I got a 3.0. And back then you had to go to the mail room to get your mail. So one of the captains was in the mail room with me and I got my grades came out. I read it and he said, uh, oh, you got a 3.0. He said, I'm going to tell you two things. He said, number one, you're never going to get a 3.0 again. And number two, it's going to be the fastest four years of your life. And he was right about both. <laughs> I never got another 3-0, but I managed to navigate my way through through college. And I did get a business degree, a PU school, got a business degree at Springfield College. But it's so true, and I think that's great. 60 players on your, your roster. How do you manage 60 players? Well, I think I think the most important thing is that you treat one as you treat 60. Right. Uh, so just understanding that. The family is the most important thing and, and connecting with each and every player, whether injured, starter, backup, et cetera. And they know where they stand. I think the transparency and honesty is, is the number one priority for any coach is, is to let them know where they stand, how they can get from A to B. If they want to get from a backup to a starter or just, just being transparent and, and straightforward and upfront with the guys is, is number one and treating them all like your sons. And, and ultimately that's, that's what I try to do is sometimes it's tough love, but, but most of the time it's, it's, it's true love. Right. And, and yeah, yeah. And I think you have a great appreciation for, for life more than most do based on what you went through with, with your son. And I know your, your wife, Julie, and you are, great ambassadors for going out and, and talking to parents who've lost a child. And like I said, before we had the podcast, I was talking to you and I just, I have a lot of respect for you, not only as a player, as a coach, but as a human being and what you've been able to do. And, and uh, you get four great daughters, but I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about what you and your wife do. And, and, and you've made a great difference in so many people's lives. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's, you know, we we were reached out to by so many people when Mike passed in 2004, and I give uh, Coach Nick Myers and and the Ohio State Athletic Department a, a ton of credit for keeping Mike's memory alive in, in so many ways. It's one of the largest memorial scholarships at at the Ohio State University in the athletic department. Uh, Coach Myers and I play a game each year. We had a game, but most of the time it's a scrimmage like we did a couple weeks ago here in, in Chapel Hill, and we raised money for Mike's scholarship. But Coach Myers has kept Mike's memory alive in the program. The thumbs up, the sometimes the locker room codes, and some of the things are, are Mike's birthdays, birth date. And I give him a ton of credit there. But from Julie and I, we, we it certainly is a tragedy that lives with us daily. We love our four daughters. We talk about Mike all the time. Matter of fact, two days ago, we were, Sammy, my senior at, at, in, at Chapel Hill, has brought over one of her roommates and we were looking through some of the photo albums, if you can believe it. Photo albums existed and we still have them. And, and we were looking through and we looked through when, when my daughter, Sam, was two and a half. Mike was three and a half when he passed. And we were looking through from zero to three and a half of, of Mike and his journey and just just beautiful stuff and and we talk about him all the time in the house and the girls know everything about him and for Julie and I it's 
it's it's an opportunity to heal ourselves and part of healing is is helping others right. and opportunity to reach out or or having different families reach out to us and will you speak to so and so about they lost a child and and sometimes it's a text message sometimes it's a phone call sometimes it's multiple conversations but just to know that we are survivors that we're still living life to the fullest that we had two daughters since Mike passed and that we're living, we, we understand that we're going to see him again. I think ultimately is, is the beauty of it is we're only here for a speck on the radar. And if we have a chance to, to help someone or save someone or marriages, <laughs> marriage is tough as it is. And, and 75% of, of uh, marriages end uh, with the loss of a child. And I give Julie a ton of credit. She is an absolute warrior. She's my rock. And we have, we've made a choice to continue living for our daughters um, and for each other and, and for those that we can touch some lives and help others. So ultimately it's, it's a tragedy, tragedy that we, we lost Michael, but it's also an opportunity to help others and, and also help keep his memory alive. And, and I can't tell you how many people have said, I, I hug my kids tighter. I tell them I love them every day because of Michael. And and that's a really cool thing and, and certainly a blessing for us. I was a little hesitant to bring it up, Joe, but I think it's so important. It's 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 a it's a story that needs to be told and, and I think that a lot of people are hesitant maybe when you first lost Mike and even till today. But I found that I had some losses, nothing like yours. I lost my dad when I was seventeen, but I think that people should understand it's it's okay to reach out, it's okay to talk about it because it's it's so important to you and your family and I think the more people talk about it, the better the healing process is and you're able to help other people. Yeah, no question about it. And and I would tell everybody whoever, who listens to this podcast, even if they have friends or others, they ever want to get in touch with me. I mean, you know how to get in touch with me and I'd be happy to help and, and talk. And, and like I said, sometimes it's just knowing that somebody else has been through it and has survived it. And, and sometimes it's just a text message or sometimes it's a call or conversation, et cetera. And, and it's, it's a blessing to be in this position to help. And that's the way we look at it. Well, God bless you. Again, uh, a lot of respect for what you're doing. Thank you. Yep. It's a great place to end it. Coach, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate you joining us and sharing all those messages and sharing your story a little bit. And good luck this spring. Thank you. I appreciate you guys both for having me and good luck with the show. It's awesome. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you down the road. Awesome. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Thanks again for listening to New England Cross Journals, Chasing the Gold Podcast. For Jack Biatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. See you next time.